Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, it was an emotional week last week. Um, how are you doing this week? Uh, okay. I think I've moved into a um, vague sense of numbness, but also into just all fits of rage um, mm-hmm. as everyone kind of scrambles to put together a government and the government looks really, really horrible. <laughs> Um, yeah, really, really racist. Yeah, super racist. <laughs> when like the when like the neo Nazi groups and like websites are going like, ah, oh, these cabinet positions are all amazing. These appointments are the best. It's like, oh my god, yeah. So I've been um, I've been trying to engage with people on Facebook in respectful ways. Like asking questioning questions and listening, and when I'm in a position or in a headspace where I can't deal with that, uh, and I know I won't be able to be respectful or listen to a single thing people are telling me that feels insane to me, then I remove myself from that. So that, I've been I've been doing some of that. I've been calling in to my state and uh, and federal representatives. So I have I've saved all their numbers in my phone. I highly recommend it to other listeners that way you can call them the next time you have something you want to complain about or or compliment about i will be calling senator dick durbin of illinois to commend him for speaking out against the appointment of of steve bannon um called in to speaker ryan's poll he did about the affordable care act (laughs) until he realized that liberals were all sharing that they should call in in support (laughs) and they took it down i mean i don't know i don't know that that's why they took it down but i feel like it might be related seeing as i the the rumor mill is saying that they're now denying they ever did a poll (laughs) i don't know what what have you been doing that's been making me feel more empowered and like i'm having my voice heard a little bit and like that i'm active and doing stuff i like i apply to um um to to volunteer for planned parenthood and hopefully we'll hear back from them soon um yeah that's that's what i've been doing have you been able to do anything active are you like just like keeping informed like what are you doing um, mostly informed. Um, I did the Paul Ryan call-in thing as well before they shut it down. Um, tried to call an oversight committee, but, uh, their voicemail box was full. So, kind of a yeah. waste there. Um, I haven't called any of my representatives yet. Um, uh, but that's been about the extent of it. Um, a lot of me is, like, still kind of in a weird sense of self-care, but also in a trying to, like, get through the basically the rest of the year (laughs) um Mm -hmm. work-wise um particularly and that's been taking up like a lot of my headspace to the point where i'm just like i need to be able to breathe and relax sometimes and um that's been difficult to do and it's it at the without feeling guilty about needing to breathe and relax which has been tough um but i Mm -hmm. like went to see a movie um on wednesday I th- was it Wednesday? I think it was Wednesday. 
pretty sure it was it was Wednesday because yesterday was Thursday, so it had to be Wednesday. Um, so I went to a movie on Wednesday that felt good, but then at the same time, just kind of like, oh, I could have done something more productive than sitting and watching Amy Adams talk to aliens. Um, but, but it's good. It's a marathon. Unfortunately, we are up for a marathon here, not a sprint. And self care is important, and making sure that you you know take care of yourself so that you can you know make you know be more involved when you feel able is important that's a terrific rationalization so i appreciate that (laughs) um yeah i i just i feel like i should be doing a lot more but you're you're correct in that i should be also taking care of myself as i i did set up doctor's appointments for myself so that was that was an impressive step forward for someone who is generally just relied on like walking clinics and that sort of thing i actually set up a primary care physician this week and that was a big step for me as an adult of 32 years old Well, hey, you know, whatever, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Um, we heard from some listeners this week on Twitter. Uh, really appreciated hearing from you guys uh, talking. Yeah, we heard from some people who were, you know, appreciated that we talked about where we're at with the the election and everything and we were, how we were feeling. Didn't try to pretend it was a normal week for us. It was very emotional um, podcast, but it was, I, I don't know, I feel like it was, it was very honest. It was where we were that week and I have a feeling you know, it's going to be a while here of of talk therapy, Noel, with the two of us at the start of the show. And that's OK, as far as I'm concerned. No, it's good. Um, it also makes me think that we should just lead in the show with like the Fraser theme song now. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, we are listening. We do want to hear from our listeners. Um, I know for me, there was I, I, I there was a lot of catharsis for me listening to other podcasts responded like i have a few podcasts that i subscribe to who like left politics at the door in favor of escapism and silliness and i understand that but that i can't really listen to that i started listening to some of those and i just couldn't do it um instead i found like 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 the the ones that i was listening to that were really helpful and really cathartic was like you know black nerd power another round savage love code switch black girl nerds Oh man, I could just like listen to the Jamie Foxx uh, "You" song just on repeat, which they, you know, reminded me of on on Black Girl Nerds, uh, Slate's Amicus podcast. Also, like again, just reinforcing: no, you're not crazy. This is not normal. Lots of other people are having these same strong reactions, and um, yeah, it's okay to to be upset and everything. So. If people appreciated, you know, hearing us talk about where we were at last week, I would recommend any any of those to you to y'all. Do you listen to any of those ones, Noel, or do you more gear towards other you know types of listening? Yeah, I'm I'm not a big podcast listener, despite being on a podcast. Um, in part mm-hmm. because I have to like edit words um during the day so doing that and listening to people talk um is not something my brain can process um yeah so and then listening to podcasts like afterwards is sometimes a challenge in that i tend to just end up it becomes white noise very very quickly for me just because of how i use audio um in my day-to-day um so i end up being just like super selective with what i'm listening to and when i'm listening to it so i very rarely keep up with things as much as i would like to for a few shows um so mostly i just um try to keep up on tv this week um and 
that was that was about all I did this week and try to get through a very long work week. Um, yeah, so no, I'm basically just looking forward to the weekend where I don't have to do a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, I feel you there. I yeah, just just can experience for a while and yeah, not have so many pressures. Um, we should mention this week uh, the the passing of Gwen Eiffel, who people know from from PBS. Uh, news and um her her contributions i mean she she had been sick for a while with i want to say cancer right uh yes i think so um she seemed hale and hearty in the convention at the for convention cover this summer and then Mm -hmm. i was i just i watched pbs news um for the actual election results uh because i can't stand cable news's um graphic overload anymore uh-huh. Um, and I was wondering where she was because she wasn't on with Judy Woodruff and their panel um, this year and was concerned and I couldn't find anything and then she <laughs> she died this week and I just went oh well that's why and now I feel terrible yeah. <laughs> thanks world yeah. Um, yep yeah it, it was a big loss and I was like particularly like kind of frustrated with it like with um, the news out for the news hour and for like the convention coverage like sometimes you could just tell especially during the Republican National Convention that she was just like ready to just call bullshit on everything that was happening and trying to maintain mm-hmm. like that kind of objective journalistic integrity type stuff and but you could just see it in her like tone and like uh posture that she was just like ready to rip into things so i was really like waiting for her during the election coverage and when she wasn't there i I was just kind of sad and then she died and then then i was really sad um do you have much uh did you like have much exposure to her did you watch news hour a whole lot or were you just more familiar from her like she's moderated i think at least one debate um in the past um yeah 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 no i'm more familiar with her from that because growing up i didn't really watch a lot of news Mm -hmm. um you know my parents got various newspapers but we didn't like sit down and watch the news together or anything like that um watch a lot of pbs but we didn't do like news uh, news hour and, and stuff like that so um yeah, I was more familiar with her, like, when I saw the postings going around that she, that she had died, um, she was familiar to me, mm-hmm. and I remembered, so I remembered her from debates, I remember for her from previous, like, kind of election coverage and stuff like that, but, um, but no, I didn't have a very strong connection to her personally, in her, to her work, I should say, obviously, I didn't know her personally, um, but... Um, the sense of loss from those familiar with her work was really profound um, this week uh, online. And um, it makes me feel like I really should probably go back and and investigate and look up some of her previous work and her reporting because clearly she was a huge impact on a lot of people. She had a huge impact on a lot of people, especially, you know, young, young women of color, you know, seeing a black woman, uh, being that prominent of a, of a reporter and a figure and respe- such a respected figure as well must have been very informative uh, and very formative just in general, you know, as a young person. So she clearly uh, had a, a, you know, had a, she's, it's a big loss. It's a big loss. 
It is. Um, and it's also one of those things where, you, I mean, just from a news hour perspective, but also from a, like you were talking about, from a represent, representational perspective, that, like, news hour is and has been for quite a few years now since um, Lyra left, has been uh, co anchored by two women for a number of years. Mm-hmm. I mean, she and Judy Woodruff have been, like, alternating days um, for quite some time now, and you don't get that very often on a lot of, like, news stations. I mean, we haven't really had that since, like, Katie Couric left CBS News, and um, you get that kind of occasionally on, like, cable channels, but those are very much, like, increasingly personality-driven type of news programs. Um, where the anchor is more this more the centered pr- part of it, so I'm thinking like of course like the Kelly file over on Fox, but the PBS NewsHour was always very news centric, and it wasn't about Eiffel, and it wasn't about Woodruff or their um, uh, correspondents that they had, um, who were all very good. Um, it was just very much about the news and them presenting it. But I mean, these were the two women running this news program. And that was a, it's still a big deal. And NewsHour is still, I think, pretty committed to that because during the election coverage, like filling in for um, Gwen Eiffel was um, Hari, oh, I'm going to butcher his last name and I feel really bad, um, Harney um, Srinivasan, I think that's almost correct, um, who is their weekend anchor, but um, he filled in for the election coverage. And so there's a real commitment to making sure that there's, different types of people being represented in anchor desks and in the field on this show. And I think that's just, that's really important to watch them have that available and that that's a, clearly a priority for the program. And so Eiffel's passing is, I don't think will be a blow for NewsHour in terms of that approach, but it's a blow for journalism, especially when we need it very, very badly right now. Yep, we really do. Um, we will not have Gwen Eiffel to watch next year, but we did find out this this week we will have Samantha B because Full Frontal has been renewed for next year, and it's going to be moving to Wednesdays now. So we have, as we ugh, head into 2017 under future President Trump, at least we know Sam B is going to be there to help us check our sanity every week that's much appreciated uh i was very excited to see that news yeah you told me right before we started recording because i had missed it because i've been not paying super because there's attention. been yeah and a lot of there's been a lot of news there's been so much news that um my twitter feed basically did not have space to celebrate that is how that worked out for me um but no it's really really great and i'm very happy that uh tbs decided to give her a second season uh, it feels weird to say seasons about a show like full frontal um mm-hmm. but no it's it's very good and i'm looking if is it okay that i'm actually also excited that it's coming back just so i can see more blazers uh, <laughs> yeah her, her her blazer game's on point she's like not quite joan watson level but like no, you know but no one is joan watson level. but no I one mean, is that, yeah I, I don't even know how she affords those clothes to be honest with you because don't think about it yeah she, doesn't. she can't because <laughs> some of those blouses are really expensive like one of the her blouses yep. in this week's episode is like a thousand dollars yep <laughs> yep 
That's but yeah. no. So yeah, full, she she knows a guy. Yeah, she's got a shirt guy. <laughs> but full frontal being back for another season is really exciting, and I think we should have expected it when they asked for more episodes earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also signals how very dedicated to developing a strong and unique comedy brand that TBS is really getting geared up for. I think, and that mm-hmm. they see Sandy as a good way to start really attracting new folks uh to their channel and getting more more eyeballs and more specific type of eyeballs um to watch their shows and i think that's a really good idea absolutely um yeah we'll we'll see what comes next for that now she's going to be around for a little bit more this year right or is she done um i want to say i don't think that they're done i think they may have probably like a couple episodes left um, but okay. they may also be done. I don't remember her saying that they were done this week, though. Um, but yeah, I, also... I, I didn't either. I hope we get a warning. <laughs> right? No, I kind of need a warning. Um, I'm, I'm <laughs> almost like positive that they're not on next week, but no one's on next week. Um, barely anyone is on next week because of the holiday. Um, so yeah, but I've yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, this week at the DV shelf, we uh, again we're going escapism and a very different type of, type of escapism this week than last week. But we're joined by Jessica Ritchie from RogerEbert.com, among other places, to talk about the the seventies uh, TV movie Night Slaves, which is like it's like seventies paranoia sci fi. Um, it's very, like, it's hard to, to describe without spoilering, so right. we'll leave that for the DVD. We do spoil in the yeah. DVD shelf, but I think you guys can handle it. But we won't spoil here in case you are, you know, concerned about that. Well, I think Jessica's description of it as hippie sci-fi twaddle is a good way to describe it without giving anything away. <laughs> yeah. That was a lot of fun talking with Jessica. That's coming at the end of the podcast, but uh, we should get going because we got some, I, got, I have some strong feelings about some of the tv this week and mostly positive um so we should get into it so let's take a break listen to start a dance school is what i'm thinking it's titled from jane the virgin and come back with our week in comedy we'll be right back after this That was the dream sequence from this week's episode of Jane the Virgin, which, of course, is modeled on Beauty School Dropout from Greece, but features Rahelio and 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 Jane and Alba singing to Zoe about why she should uh, open a dance school or uh, you know, start a dance school. It was lovely to have uh, another uh, voice to hear from or, or set of voices to hear from. 
this week, not just Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Don't worry. We will be hearing some Crazy Ex-Girlfriend music later on in the podcast. But we wanted to come into the, the comedy section with some Jane. This week in comedy, we're talking about Sweet Vicious, which had its premiere on MTV, The Blueprint. Um, then we'll talk a bit about the Last Week Tonight finale, uh, which because they close up their season this week. Um, uh, and then we'll talk Drug History, Landmarks, Jane the Virgin, Chapter 49, and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. When will Josh and his friend leave me alone? That was very good. You, I know you've been struggling with that, but I thought that was very good. I appreciate it. Thank you. Doff my imaginary <laughs> hat at you, sir. Um, so this week on MTV, um, Sweet Vicious premiered. They've put, they made the first three episodes available. I've only been able to see the first one. Um, that's the blueprint. And you've seen the first and some, and some change, right, from the second? Right, like bare, like barely into like the cold open of like past the first commercial break of the second episode is all I've seen, which is very much a how do we deal with what happened at the end of the premiere? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, so um, Noel, for listeners who don't know, why don't you let them know what is Sweet Vicious and what did you think of the premiere? Sure. So uh, Sweet Vicious takes place on a college campus, and um, let me pull up character names real quick. Oh, there's Ophelia. Ophelia and, right, and um, Jules. Jules. Um, yeah. Which. Oh, now that I'm hearing them together, I'm just like, wow, that's some Shakespeare stuff. Okay. Yep, yep it See is. See how that rolls out. <laughs> um, so anyway, so deals with um, two girls. Ophelia is our um, kind of TV hacker stoner um, on a college campus who's uh, passing all her classes but never goes to class. And Jules is our seemingly uh, bubbly sorority girl who is on the verge of failing all of her classes because by night she is uh, beating up uh, sexual assaulters and rapists uh, that have gone unpunished by the authorities on the college campus. Um, and then within the course of the premiere, Jules and Ophelia run into one another and the implication being that they'll start teaming up to continue to uh, give dole out justice and uh, beatdowns to uh, those who go un unpunished by the proper authorities. Um, um, this is a very dark type of comedy, obviously. Um, yeah. And I know I just described it. And I've ne failed to negle neglected to mention that it's also funny in a number of places. Um, it's got, by far and away, the best use of defying gravity that I can think of. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's actually a really good use of defying gravity. And I say this as someone who's just got really sick of that song very quickly in college. But now I'm just, like, oh, apparently open to it now. Mm -hmm. um, but... I am very interested in this show. Um, I really like the premiere, even though it's kind of premisey. Um, and even though I'm not exactly a fan of the um, how the premiere ends with them having to basically, they have a dead body to deal with. Um, because I'm just tired of that from Bates Motel. <laughs> I'm mm -hmm. doing that every year. Um, but it's, it's at least a way for them to force Jules and Ophelia to bond very quickly, which is important since you have two main characters that are kind of at odds with one another. Um, but I'm eager to see more from this. Um, the little bit that I watched from the second episode, I really liked as well. And so I'm, I'm excited. To, I'm probably, I'm going to watch the two remaining episodes that MTV has made available, um, this weekend because I'm geared up for this, I think, to see how the premise pr progresses a bit more. 
Um, how how did you feel about the premiere? Um, did you did it strike you as particularly funny, or was this a little too dark? Um, yeah, how are you feeling about it? A day will come where not everything that I watch is viewed through the lens of the 2016 presidential election. <laughs> but that is not this day. That is not that day, yeah. Or and, this week, or this month. Or this month, probably. <laughs> and certainly for Sweet Vicious, I mean, a man accused uh, by two previous, uh, by two women of, of raping them, uh, or nearly raping them, um, one of who recanted, one of whom recanted or changed her language, one who did not, who's been accused of sexual assault by 12 people, um, is the president elect. So am I here for a show about two vigilantes, uh, beating up and stabbing rapists? Yes, I am here for that shit. It helps that it's funny. It helps that it's self-aware. It helps that the, you know, obviously, like you said, Ophelia is the, the moody, you know, green hair, you know, uh, brilliant but maybe misunderstood student. And the, the blonde-haired, bright, bubbly sorority girl is Jules. Obviously, like you say, they're playing with some Shakespeare here. They're playing with some tropes and types of various um, just just character types and, and stereotypes. Uh, and, and that is has the potential to be really interesting. There is, uh, the acting is good. The, the two leads work really well together and the, the, they do a good job of getting us into their minds and, and using, uh, reaction and acting versus dialogue, especially for Jules, especially when she's around the sorority sisters and such. And, um, so there's that, uh, I also was very pleasantly surprised and happy to see, um, I don't have my, listeners to give you behind the curtain here we're recording in the place where i do not have internet so i can't look up his name um one of the one of gretchen's uh rap team that she uh, represents on you're the worst uh, i want to say it's sam that actor is on this as ophelia's best friend harris who is a law student um and who who isn't saying he has sexual fantasies about ruth Bader ginsburg but he's not saying he doesn't either uh <laughs> so like there's a lot of stuff to like here the fact that it's this show coming out right now re like i'm just being completely overt here it can't help but affect you know like because where i'm at it can't help but affect my take on the show but uh yes it is definitely dark i like that they don't shy away from that i feel like doing a light-hearted version of this would be actually pretty messed up um because the emotions driving uh, specifically Jules initially and by the by the middle of the the premiere Ophelia as well is some really dark stuff um so it's I feel, I feel like it's kind of appropriate but don't go into this expecting just like a bubblegum girl power thing because there's it's it's dark it's not saying that these women are right in what they're doing but it it's saying that you can you can understand why they're doing it and I think that's an important distinction. So for me, uh, right now at least, I'm super on board with Sweet Vicious. Right. It's operating very much like you said. In when you say that the, the show's not necessarily condoning them, um, their actions, it's operating very much in a sort of a heightened comedic version of like a rape revenge um, 
structure of films if you're familiar with those kind of exploitation films from the 70s like i spit on your grave um but actually but much much funnier and significantly less traumatic um well less traumatic in a different way uh traumatic still in a different way but less 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 exploitively traumatic i think is the correct way of thinking about it but it's also just really telling like when we meet uh jules's best friend's boyfriend i just immediately looked at him and went you're a rapist and it's just really bad it's just really good casting and also the actor is just kind of like selling sleaze and then it's confirmed later on um but i was just like oh this is oh i can just tell and then it was just like yep no points for noel for being right you were (laughs) we weren't (laughs) trying to hide this and so i really appreciated that but you're, the other thing I'll mention in agreement with you is the self-awareness. Like, after they've um, accidentally killed someone, <laughs> um, Jules and Ophelia head over to a bar, and Ophelia's, like, ready to team up with Jules to a certain degree. And Jules is just like, no, we can't do this. I work alone. And Ophelia's just like, that's exactly what Batman would say. After comparing her to Batman, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, this is really good. I like this. I'm, I'm, I'm getting along with this. Um, some things kind of like make me question things because I'm immediately just like, Ophelia, I'm not entirely convinced you've seen Weekend at Bernie's as if I went to a college student and asked them if they had seen Weekend at Bernie's to make a Weekend at Bernie's reference and whether or not they would get it. But I'm also just hyper conscious of those kind of things right now in terms of uh, younger characters references to media that came out about 10, 20 years before they were born. <laughs> um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, that kind of stuff also more easily defines like someone like Ophelia. So I'm also willing to roll with it just depending on how it goes. But the, these are, that's just like a really minor quibble in a thing where you've got Jules beating up on a guy and then telling him and then sticking a knife in his leg and then leaving him to call 911 and saying, don't take the knife out because then you'll bleed <laughs> out before they get here. That would be bad. Um, so I really mm-hmm. appreciate also, even stuff like the lock her lock phone screen when she's like confronting him is really funny but also just really speaks to the fact that she's still trying to figure out how all this works as this vigilante and I'm like you I'm very excited to see more it's difficult not to it's impossible not to read it within the current confines of um, the election and I mean the election gives it that heightened sense of relevancy to the degree where if it were just coming out without any of this regarding Trump's um, uh, sexual misconduct, just the fact that, I mean, this is dealing with, um, in no small part, particularly implied in the second episode, um, like college athletes who are bound for great things in the professional league. And it's, it's just tapping into a lot of very known and established college um, rape controversies and that in and of itself just makes it relevant but adding this particular layer that you mentioned just makes it all the more vital that it's on TV right now yeah um, any final thoughts oh you know I guess the last thing I'll mention here we haven't mentioned him yet but I did also enjoy that we have the potentially we have the buffoonish constable character you know if you follow the <laughs> that's true the Shakespeare parallel, something like, you know, much ado about nothing. Um, so 
Uh, we'll see what happens with that. But I also enjoyed that character and performance. And yeah, like you said, there's so much that, uh, depressingly, there's so much that they can tap into and use to fuel these storylines um, if they're going to be topical or, you know, honest about the realities of being um, a woman specifically, but a person on a college campus um, as far as your potential of being raped is as far as that goes. Um, and the likelihood that your uh, rapist will face any serious consequences. So uh, that, you know, there's plenty that they can draw on and it's great to know that there's a show that wants to draw on that and wants to discuss that and wants to put that out there um, in the public consciousness and in, you know, as part of pop culture and a way to discuss our current actual culture so uh yeah we'll, we'll we'll check in again on sweet vicious the next time we have something new to say but uh certainly i enjoyed my time with it um, i'm glad that you did too noel uh next up we have last week tonight which had its finale and uh did you know I, I know you don't you don't uh have hbo did you see any of this noel yeah well i mean i watched the show on well i watched their main segments on youtube which is what they make available typically and this week they actually just made the entire episode available um, which is rare because normally the uh, initial segment that they do at the opening isn't available mm-hmm. um, on YouTube. They just do the main piece. Um, but this week it was everything because I was startled because they showed the theme song and I just went, wait, do I have the right one? Did I accidentally get a pirated version? I don't want the pirated version. I want to support them by watching this for free. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, no, I saw the entire episode um, for this week. Um this week's episode and um it was good um i'm i i i forgot that they were doing their last week um really the big takeaway for me for this episode um was the fact that my mom ended up watching it um somehow and she probably watched on youtube i don't know how it got passed around to her um but my mom had been kind of like politely concerned about me um, as a result of the elections, because I had taken things kind of hard, mm-hmm. uh, as we all had, um, kind of being just kind of an understatement. And um, she had been just kind of like really low key about it. And then she texted me like that Monday and was just like, did you watch this? And I just went, well, yeah, I had. Why? Because um, it's very rare for her to text me about something that's not an Arrowverse show. <laughs> <laughs> um and so she was just like, it was really thought-provoking about how really kind of messed up this is. And I just went, yes, it is, Mom. It is. <laughs> That's why I'm I've been upset. Last... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, not, I mean, I'm sure she understood, but yeah. my mom also just doesn't, like, keep up with the news as much as I do. And she's, um, because she just doesn't like to keep up with that kind of stuff. And so when she, when she texted me about it, I was admittedly confused but then it was just like yes this is why i was this is why i was really very upset last week and crying a lot and about what this all meant and what this all could potentially mean and so it was like i was just glad that john oliver could kind of like wake her up to that and she also enjoyed the ending of the um the 2016 um (laughs) bit at the end um how did you feel about this episode because that that's kind of like was my big takeaway from this episode was my mom realized why i was really upset last week because of this episode how did you feel about this episode yeah it was it was a very strong episode i thought um and normally the the last week tonight episodes that really stick out to me are the ones that cast light on something that or shed light i should say on something that i am not familiar with 
um, that right. I should be. Um, this one, again, it was like I talked about listening to different, well, you know, different reactions um, on, on various podcasts, podcasts that being very cathartic or, you know, watching Stephen Colbert in real time react to the results coming in on, on his election, I think, and, and the watching his monologues this week, that's become must-see viewing for me um, because, again, of the catharsis of seeing someone else dealing with this and, you know, the... Yeah, so if it was I enjoyed it for that. Um but also I think you know, you know, a little coincidence here. Um this also gave me a really powerful moment with my mom this week because um I had to remind myself Lemonade came out this year. The Cubs were in the World Series, but um as if life wasn't bad enough, I found out this week that my grandpa's got stage 4 pancreatic cancer. And a very short projection of how long he's going to be with us. So, fuck 2016, and I wish I could just punch it in the goddamn ovaries, because 2016 has been terrible. Um, and so, at one point this this week, before we knew exactly what was, we just knew something was very wrong with my grandpa, and we were all very upset and very frustrated my mom said something about like just like screw twenty. She doesn't swear, but something like, screw twenty sixteen. And I was like, "Mom, I think there's something you need to watch." And so we we sat and watched the that segment, the end of the episode segment together. And it was really, and it was just one of those like, yeah, it's really shitty right now. But being able to just for a moment laugh at how terrible this year has been in so from ways incredibly petty to ways that crushing personally crushing for our future as a country. Um, it was, it was a really nice moment and so satisfying to watch him just explode the 2016 numbers, Billy Eichner, 2016 and 2017 already. I just already don't like you, you know, like it was really, yeah, it was, I, I, it was something that we both needed in that moment. So it was the right thing at the right time again, too. Yeah. But I, I, I will be queuing that up from time to time when I need it, I think. And so thank you. Big thank you to the people over at um, Last Week Tonight. Again, it's the same idea of not pretending that everything's okay and not pretending that this is a normal, you know, election. And, and the resonance in my own personal life, of course, only just compounded that. So this was a memorable episode for me i mentioned i've been watching colbert i've also been of course seeking out seth meyer um his uh uh, closer looks um and those have been again really interesting to me like i just feeling like you're not in crazy because part of this reaction to the election has been looking around to people that you just thought you knew them so well and you thought you understood um what they what was their what their priorities were and what they would view as being in their self-interest in their votes and finding out that you were wrong um and that they valued various other things over your personal morals like the morals that i have as a person and priorities that i have um so having sources that reconfirm that no it's not you know like you're not alone we also think this is messed up. We also can't quite believe this. And we promise that we are going to be here with you for the next however many years, um, has been really 
good to really again really satisfying and really heartwarming and encouraging keeping the because it just it drains your energy it's like so draining it's so exhausting it's you know it's nice to kind of see somebody else acknowledge that and so just acknowledge the suck embrace the suck so that we can get to a point where we can then stand up and fight it um so i guess that's that's really what I've been, what I was getting from last week tonight, this week from Full Frontal, from Stephen Colbert, his monologues, from from Seth Meyers, Closer Looks, um, yeah, yeah. It's been very like, on the one hand, like I'm glad to have this kind of response on like a larger national scale, um, like within a media landscape. Um, but at the same time, it's also I'm I struggle a little bit with just the sense of right. I'm getting this reinforced. I feel better, but at the same time, I I'm still in that place of well, it it's it's still wrapped up in that sense of feeling better and like self care through this type of reinforcement, but also trying not to get just stuck in that loop of reinforcement yeah. and feeling like, well, that's good enough. I watched Seth Meyers and I feel better informed today. Yeah. Um, which is false and not helpful and not productive. Um, but it's also kind of like where I still am. Um, and I'm, which I, again, like we talked about at the top, I'm like trying to work through, and figure out like what to do and how to do it in a way that also just doesn't completely drain me of any and all energy and makes me feel ill physically. Um, so uh, I really appreciate it, but I also like kind of like meter myself on it basically in terms yeah. of what I watch and when I watch. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of where I am with it. Even if I am glad to still have that kind of cathartic, response of oh okay i'm not in, i'm like you said i'm not insane type of thing yeah well i think that that makes a lot of sense and you know i think i think it's and i think it's an excellent point to to not it's it's tempting it's um very alluring to stay in that loop that but that loop is what got us to a place where half the country assumed they knew how the other half of the country was voting um, so it's important to get out of that bubble and get out of that loop at, 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 you know, eventually. Um, and speaking of getting out of the loop now for something completely different, drunk history landmarks. So I wanted to mention this one. Uh, I, I've been, cause first of all, it was lovely to watch something just completely removed from, <laughs> from everything else I was really consuming, um, and also because, you know, as a fan of the uh, hashtag starring John Cho and hashtag starring Casas Wu, how awesome is it that Drunk History, after, of course, earlier this season, making sure that they casted uh, trans women to play the activists at Stonewall in the, that reenactment, the, here they cast John Cho as Shakespeare. Because why the fuck not? I would watch the crap out of a John Cho as Shakespeare movie. Uh, I had a lot of fun with Landmarks. Uh, did you Did you get a chance to check this one out? I did, um, since you had mentioned this, because I had missed the news that uh, Cho was playing Shakespeare, as, um, which is someone who likes John Cho and likes Shakespeare. I was, I was just like, those are my two favorite things. It's like you put Oreos with more Oreos. <laughs> why wouldn't I want to eat that? Yeah. Um, 
And so I, I, this is actually the first drunk history I've watched in a while because sometimes like the overall conceited drunk history just doesn't land for me. Um, and this one actually really worked. I had a lot of fun watching Landmarks, but I had a lot of fun in particular with the uh, John Cho bit about Shakespeare and the Lord Chamberlain's men stealing the um, stealing the theater and turning it into the Globe, which is one of my all-time favorite um, historical stories because very few people seem to be aware of that, and it's just a terrific, terrific story. Um, but I really enjoyed Cho's like kind of like kind of puckish performances Shakespeare. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, there was a, there was just a deep sense of play in what he was doing and that he was really deeply invested in making sure that this was funny, but also that you could look at him and go, oh, that's Shakespeare. And I think that's really great. But then you also immediately go, that's also John Cho. And it's great that John Cho is playing Shakespeare because Cho's talked about the fact that his, his access to roles within like is very limited, especially if it comes to doing films for like history films because not a lot of films about Asians being made in and about Asian history and so lots of doors are closed to him so but now he gets to play Shakespeare on TV and that's pretty darn cool yeah I also liked the the other sections as well they were pretty fun um I was familiar with the uh Eiffel Tower one but not with the Brooklyn Bridge one so that was pretty uh, pretty fun pretty neat and uh, I, again I enjoyed the uh the the cast that they they brought in for the the actors I thought the re, I thought the reenactors were were did a pretty good job and and also the the moderators I you know the drunk historians did did pretty good it was a strong episode overall and and yeah it's just again nice to have a take a breath and kind of just watch something drunk and silly and uh, escapist those guys get really drunk I forgot how drunk some of them get. they get really <laughs> drunk yeah they do. Um, our next show here is Jane the Virgin chapter 49 which I don't think any of us expected to go the way that it went um with nope uh with yeah with Petra um now full-on baddie again because of how much Raph hurt her inadvertently by praising fake Petra um for her for her maternal streak um so and like i really don't think she she'd hurt be hurt but doesn't wouldn't care that much that that he had slept with her sister thinking it was her but the you know having having the pivot point be this comment on on her uh, mothering and her you know her relationship with the kids and what you know what a real woman is this idea that it's not what he says but like that's how she's interpreting it as um the kids are her kids are better off with this you know crazy person who who petrified her uh you know paralyzed her and stole her life because she's more visibly stereotypically maternal um that was a smart way to go and to keep i mean i'm gonna miss having petra and on the good team because i think the dynamic especially with her and jane is terrific um but i think it's a, if they're gonna pivot her back to batty i think it's a really great way to do it no i i agree that it's a good way to do it and it's very much in keeping that petra just channels like her rage it's having to watch all of this having to watch um raf and aneska with the kids but also having to watch aneska with vests 
and <laughs> oh that that's just mean that that's that's just mean um is that she immediately comes out of it and it springs into action i think is just is pure petra and i really even if she is has shifted to like team batty again it's it makes so much sense and that she wouldn't come out in terms of well we're gonna just deal with this and that's it and it's just like nope we're settling all scores right now and i mean we're settling all these scores by tattooing not petra Mm -hmm. (laughs) on tanesca's forehead which is a huge thing to do and um but at the same time the woman was petrified for how long yep (laughs) um so i really appreciated um how all of that played out and i'm also glad that this particular plot line has advanced as well because i'm not quite sure how much longer we could have kept that going um but this felt like just the right time for them to break petra out and have aneska um be revealed and all that sort of stuff get tossed up in the air again i thought was uh, really good um how did you feel about the stuff with um jane and alba this week this was like the first time i feel like we've gotten Jane and Alba really at odds with one another and it made me it made me it made me worried Kate mm-hmm. I got worried <laughs> well of course we don't like that um it's not all is not right in the the tv you know force if Jane and, and Alba are not on good terms um I am not looking forward to more family drama like I really think that the show, I mean, I know this is antithesis of what the show is, but I feel like they could use a few breaths of normalcy because they got enough going, got so much going on. Um, that I think the show just, it loses track of, there's so much going on that it loses track of several of its storylines at once. Um, that's, it's, or at least it's been doing that this year. They've juggled pre- better previously. Um, like how, like is Jane seriously supposed to be a full-time student while she's working, while she's being a mother, while she was, you know, helping Michael rehabilitate, like moving into new, the show used to be very aware of her time and what was, what, you know, and, and, and all, she was always tired, always going from all over the place there. And when they would give her something new, they'd take something away. And now with bringing in more family drama and the inevitable, telenovela inspired you know twists and scandal that will come with that um i worry it's too much now the tension between jane and alba i thought was terrific even as it pained my heart um uh, but it was great to see that because like you say that is a new dynamic we haven't seen explored previously but i'm a little leery i gotta say of of like well we still have all this stuff up in the air with raf's family um do we do we need new stuff with Jane's family. Well, I think we, I think new stuff with Jane's family is fine. Um, I think I agree with you in so far as the timing of it is just not correct. And we needed, like you said, like a couple of breaths basically of, I mean, they have to find a new house. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I, having some time in between all of this, would have been nice but at the same time i understand that they want to try to keep momentum and they do have momentum it's just they're maybe running a little too fast 
um, with that momentum. Um, so I, I, I'm willing to see where they go, but I do agree with you that like they're, they have a lot of plates that are spinning and sometimes they just let those plates stop spinning and they just kind of sit there on the little stick and then they go, Oh, right. This, this needs to be spinning, right? We're on it. And it's just like, I kind of forgot Mooder was in jail. I thought she was on a submarine. Actually, I won't (laughs) lie to you. Um, so We'll see how it goes, but I think there is a need for the show to kind of rebalance itself um, just a little bit. But maybe they'll figure that out and, like, Jane's cousin will only be here for, like, an episode. And we'll wrap this up really quickly. And we can focus on Zoe starting her dance school, which is something I just want to watch. Yeah, like... All the time. (laughs) Why didn't that happen already? Like, it doesn't... Why didn't she do it previously? Like this, I thought that she basically had a dance studio. She just didn't have a physical building. But I was a little unclear about that. But I thought I think it makes complete sense, and I really liked um, the, like I said, the 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 musical number and her mode of realization, and again the joy that it brings her. I mean, obviously, I'm a musician who also teaches, so I know that. I know that 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 pull. Um, between performing yourself and you need to make money and teaching is a good way to do that. But are you a better teacher? Are you a better performer? Is it, is one satisfying and fulfilling or it's the other? And, you know, does being better at one help you better at the other? Does it take time away? Like, I think there's, there's so much that that they could really draw from for that if they want. But the, the joy is she realizes that this is something that could make her very happy was just beautiful to see, and I thought very well played. I think it makes sense for the character way more than working at a bank, way more than Alba working at a gift shop. Um, so I think that was a good move. And the other thing that I really liked about this episode, I gotta say, is if they are officially moving Michael and Raph into, like, being buds, I'm so down with that. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I like how it was very kind of awkward for a lot of the episode um and i like that it's probably still going to be really awkward i think um 14 seconds of bonding over trying to find um mateo um and then realizing that they both like soccer um (laughs) (laughs) is uh is good but i i i don't want it to be a very quick type of like friendship that bursts very quickly um and i think that that's something that if they're true to very, especially if they're true to Ralph, that it's not something that's going to happen immediately. Cause I mean, you're seeing it with his, his willingness to help Rogelio, but his not willingness to really engage in the Rogelio-ness of Rogelio, um, I think is really significant. And I'd really like to see that still kind of happen with his trying to figure out some space for himself that isn't necessarily Jane. Um, in making sure that he's not becoming like too fast of friends with Michael, and I think Michael would be in the same boat in that he both of these are doing both of them are doing this for Jane and diff, for different reasons. But I'd like to see it. I'd like to see a slower game for it, basically, than some of the other stuff that the show is doing. I'd like to see a steadier buildup of a friendship than just oh, these guys are hanging out now. And we're okay with that. And so, yeah, that's kind of where I am with it. Um, I do enjoy the fact that Michael's just totally flabbergasted by 
how really in shape he <laughs> is um because um <clears throat> uh justin Bald- baldoni is really in shape like way too in shape <laughs> but then they bring it back to a character reason which i think was so great yeah. and and you know makes sense and again has it be has it provide depth rather than um stereotype or character to to ref so yeah i thought that was good and i i do agree and i they've it can get a bit exhausting when the show um pushes friends uh, characters towards friendship and then as soon as it's convenient for some other thing they want to do just rips it up which they've done a bunch they've done that a lot especially with jane and petra um and so i really hope they don't do that here but i also kind of expect them to and you know, so I'm, I'm just going to try to enjoy this while it lasts. Um, but if the show could get to a point where it is, where they are, you know, where they're good with each other and they can just, they can hang out and not, not constantly have like tension and sniping and immaturity on their parts. Uh, I think that would be really great. Cause again, it's just this idea, like we saw in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend to kind of hint to where we're going next, this idea of it's not about team michael or team rap it's about team jane um yeah that that would really send that message home and so i will see we'll see what they do but i'm not certain i certainly am not expecting it to last more than you know a few weeks or maybe but like by the mid-season finale i expect something to have changed in the dynamic Oh, for sure, and I um I suspect you're right in that it'll go badly. Even though both of them have always been kind of on not the best of gr- best of grounds, but this kind of unwilling ground, especially given everything that Michael's involved with, with all the criminal dealings that seem to surround the Solanos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts on Jane, or should we move over to Crazy Ex Girlfriend? When will Josh's friend leave me alone? We should totally move on to that. Um, um, so yeah. we tap that ass, right? We tap that ass is pretty darn great. Um, actually, I th- that and it was a sit sh- uh, shit show. Yeah, um, were both really really good, and really they were good. practically back to back, which was great. Uh, but let's talk about we tap that ass. Um, and for me, as someone who basically loves watching Gene Kelly tap dance, um, this number for me felt really inspired by a lot of like his more like centric tap dance numbers that he would have with someone. So my brain immediately went to like Moses supposes from Singing in the Rain um, because of like also a lot of like the set dancing that um, um, Santino Fontana and Vincent Rodriguez engage in in this number. Um, so all of that was really great. The song was really great. My only like hesitancy on it was watch having to watch Vincent Rodriguez dance at the same time as having to watch Santino Fonti- Santino Fontana dance because the skill levels are just very <laughs> different. Of course, I mean he um, did his best. He did he did a good job, but you're next to someone yeah. who's a dance captain on Broadway, so you know right. And so I was just watching it going, I can see them making sure that the choreography is enough that Fontana can keep up, but at the same time, you can just see Rodriguez going, I'm doing this in my sleep, and I'm still kicking ass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, again, it, it, um, Broadway, but not just any Broadway, anything goes. 
Sutton Foster's anything right. goes is the one that he was on Broadway being the dance captain on. So yeah, right. This, and in there's his... so much dancing in that show. Yeah, <laughs> so much tap in that show. Yeah. So um, yeah, absolutely. I co- co-sign absolutely what you said. But it's still really, really good. It's really funny. I love the fact that they literally tap dance on a giant ass, um, just to drive <laughs> my <home>. chest <laughs> of drawers. <laughs> Right. No, it's all there's so much there's there's just enough wordplay compared to maybe the overdose of wordplay that I think a lot some people had with the uh, math of love triangles. But this one just has really solid wordplay that's raunchy, but really funny and but also like feeds into the whole nature of the song. And the I think the best thing about this song is that it functions as a really good response to the uh, math of love triangles in which this is the downside to this Rebecca in Mm -hmm. that this is what you're this is the other thing of your love triangle that you have to deal with of who wants to sleep with me tonight is no they've both slept with you already and they're going to haunt you forever as poltergeist (laughs) Um, so I've really really enjoyed we tap that ass I really enjoyed uh, we were a shit show as a riff on a Michael Bublé type of song number or a um who else am I thinking of that this could have been but oh, I feel that's like Sinatra I did it my way is what that number right. is. Right. No. Okay, <laughs> Sinatra. So that kind of song. Um so I really really enjoyed this on just like a musical level. Um before we dive into the other stuff, how are you feeling about like the musical um aspect of the episode? Oh, it was terrific. And like I was saying yeah. last week, I really appreciate when everything is driven by emotion and this is her dreaming or whatever or fantasizing but it's very much again her being haunted and looking around and how can we visualize her looking around this house or this apartment and just seeing just being constantly reminded of these two guys well we could do cutbacks you know like in a montage of different scenes of them hanging out in these different spaces or we could have you know, polter guys sing and dance, you know, like I, I think it's, again, it's very much driven by, by where she's at mentally and emotionally. And also the, her being just so over it. And she's like, she's like, oh God, I can't, I don't want to be thinking about this, but I am. And I know, yes, that was a witty pun, my own brain, but it'd be nice if I wasn't thinking of witty puns right now um, or, or dirty jokes. Uh, so I, I think just the whole thing played really well. And again, the, the, I, that's compared to math of love triangles. Uh, this is a genre that I have a much stronger connection to. So I already, you know, was a bit in the bag for this one anyways, being such a fan of tap and of, um, you know, that, that, that kind of number. Um, so yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with it. I thought that um, the send off with Greg was terrific um, and very much driven by, he had other commitments that he couldn't stay on the show, but it takes the show in a different and more interesting direction. And we'll see what they do next. Um, I'm very excited to see Valencia back um, and for them to give a reason for, um, for Heather to be more around and involved. Um, so yeah, it, it, I thought it was a really strong episode. It was a lot of fun and, um, it's nice to see her making these baby steps at the same time. Uh, uh, no, Donna, no, you tell her everything. You do not pull away from Rebecca. You guys are besties and they're making me sad, but they're not besties. Clearly um, not anymore. 
Um, no, um, this, 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 I had seen this episode, um, a little while ago, so I was aware of, like, how this ended and just the kind of gut punch that it is of watching Donna just kind of pull away, uh, like you said, and just be like, no, I just have a cold. That's all it is. And she's like, no, you don't have a cold. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, it, it again feeds into what I kind of mentioned yesterday, yesterday, last week about the, the growing fissures in their relationships of where they both are in their lives, but also like where they are emotionally with one another, but also emotionally with their lives. Like how are they responding to things and how are they grappling with their respective problems? And they're not doing it as besties anymore. They're doing it by them, largely by themselves. I mean, Donna's, um, Donna Paula. Um, um, oh, I said Donna, didn't I? Paula, yeah, my bad. Yeah, no, you screwed me up, and I just kept running with it. I don't uh, know. Well, it's because the actress's name is Donna. That's why. That's right, and she's she is fantastic in this episode. But um, Paula's um, Paula's husband is really good in this as well, and it's just navigating how their friendship is just kind of collapsing, and the fact that they're both in very different places now. And I think that that's really important to show how they're in different places. And I'm very excited to to see how that particular thread continues um, on the show. And like you, I'm also very excited that Valencia is back um, because I love Valencia. And I'm excited to see Valencia eating carbs, um, which is something Valencia would never do last season. Now she's eating carbs, and that's, that's very exciting. Um... So you you mentioned like Greg and Fontana leaving. Um, did you feel like that that was a that, that's a good thing for the show? Because like I got into a discussion with um, uh, Caitlin over at TV TV Guide about it and how it would work for the show um, because Greg's like a her favorite character, but B also like I'm mostly just happy about it because. It pushes, like you said, it pushes the show in a different direction because otherwise we're very much spinning in circles with the love triangle and the will they, won't they. And now the show's just like, yeah, no, that's being shut down. He's on the other side of the country. He's on Emory. He's going to be hanging out in Decatur. He's going to be having a very nice time in Atlanta. And now he's just, he's gone for the foreseeable future based on like what the producers have said in that he's probably not even going to be back this season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am, I'm glad about it because I'm ready for the show to like move forward and move past that and find some new avenues to play. And how are, how are you feeling about that? Um, well, it's tough because I, my instinct is don't like it. Um, but I think a lot of that is just the, the training we get as consumers of media, um, and the way these stories go. That's not how these stories go. That's not how they're supposed to go. So it's it's very unsatisfying, for, you know, when, when he just leaves. But it's more real. It makes more sense. It's better for the future of the show. It opens up a lot of stuff. But but it's also, it isn't satisfying. For, like, I'm sure some people watch it and have this reaction. But for me, it wasn't, it wasn't like, subverting our expectations in, like, a really amazing exciting way but it was it was more like to me it i felt very strongly the 
oh, we have him for X number of episodes, and then he's he, then he's leaving the show. It didn't feel to me like an organic Greg is moving on. It felt to me like Santino Fontana has leaving uh, has to leave the show, um, or he's leaving the show, and so we have X number of episodes. And by now, so having the ghosts in the rest of the having him leave early in the episode um i think contributed to that if he if they had had the song if they had ended the previous episode with the song and then had this episode with the ghost and her reacting to it the whole time that for me would have been a lot more a lot more satisfying um and then we would have had two numbers in last week's episode. But um, uh, they didn't, but that's just, you know, like, I think, because then you have, like, the, oh, he's leaving, this is real, goodbye, fade out camera, fade camera back in, what now? But that's also just, you know, I, it's hard for me to gauge exactly how much of that is, like, that would have been better and how much of that is, that just would have been more typical. Um, so... Yeah, as I'm sort of torn between those two impulses. I do think intellectually it is better for the show. I'm going to miss Fontana on the show, his rapport with the different characters. Like, his, in, like the dynamic that he brought to the show uh, was my favorite dynamic. Because you put him with any other character, and I had more fun with them together than I did with most of the other pairings. So they're, they're definitely losing something. On that front, they're losing something in the interactions with Josh and with Heather. Um, I'm going to miss his dad, you know, Greg's dad and, and these different voices on the show. But they're creative people. I'm sure they have lots of great stuff waiting in the wings. Um, but yeah, and what do you think about that? Do you think it would have been, would you have liked it better if if, if it had broken, like, satisfying, like, like the airport scene actually ends and finishes and that's the previous episode and this episode is all... Poltergeist, or or were you were you happier with this? I I think I, I liked this. I think I liked the cliffhangerness of um, waiting to find out, just because like we sort of discussed last week with how much of um, last week's episode was driven by um, romance films, and um, so I felt like that kind of a cliffhanger was good to have. Um, and then to have it resolved in a, for me, what is a very crazy ex-girlfriend sort of way of Greg singing out his feelings about it, which I think would have been honestly kind of odd in last week's episode, just given the whole Math of Love Triangles mm -hmm. um, sequence. Um, so having it here and then immediately followed up with this kind, with the uh, We Tap That Ass um, number, I think really kind of worked to work together for me as a pair um so i was i was pretty happy with how the, greg and fontana's farewell was structured for me um and i basically think well if we can get him for like one other episode we might as well just give him two big numbers at the top and then say bye mm -hmm. <laughs> um and i i like that type of a way of saying goodbye to him and that he got one really good number right at the top of the episode um and then got to dance and sing again almost immediately after and i think that's a good way for them to say goodbye to him and and for him to say goodbye to the show as well and 
Yeah, so I was I was I was significantly more okay with it than you were, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um and I, yeah, so I I was more okay with it. Um yeah, so yeah, 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 I was fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, any other crazy girlfriend thoughts? Well, we good. we should probably quickly mention the kind of weird internetwork cross internetwork crossover of um Yael um Grobglass Grob, uh as the CEO of Miss Douche mm-hmm. um playing very much not Petra <laughs> and mm-hmm. very much not Aneska um which was really weird because it took me a minute to recognize her and then go oh this is this is very weird this is this is actually kind of weird and I'm not quite sure what to make of this kind of internetwork guest spot was it kind of weird for you or did you just yeah. kind of roll with it well, it was weird for me because it was a nothing part. Yeah, so it yeah, was it was very, very it was nothing like, part. Why are you bringing her in to give her nothing to do? Um, so I would have rather they gave her more or less. But I'm totally cool with people I enjoy in other shows popping up in other shows that I enjoy. Presuming they do a good job, and uh, so I'm all for if, you know other if they want to share talent between shows. I mean, God knows they've got the the vocal talent on their superhero shows. If they wanted them to come over to the Crazy Ex Girlfriend, I'm so there for oh, that. Oh man, now now I'm just immediately upset that the Flash Supergirl musical episode is not going to cross over into Crazy Ex Girlfriend's dimension. Somehow. I'm just saying, yeah. Oh, oh, 2017 is going to suck. But um, but yeah. So if they're gonna do. If they're going to do this kind of a cameo, I just and and they've been promoing it too. I was so I was disappointed to see it be such a nothing part. So hopefully they will either embrace it or they'll ditch it. Is where I'm at. What do you think? Um, I'm basically my approach is that unless it's Rogelio guest starring on all the CW shows as Rogelio to become famous, mm-hmm. it probably shouldn't happen. Okay, fair enough. Well, what wins your week in comedy? Uh, I'm going to split the difference between uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Sweet Vicious this week. Uh, Both were really good. Both satisfied core needs that I had this week. Um, And I'm excited about what Sweet Vicious is going to do going forward. Whereas I'm going, as soon as we finish recording, probably watch We Tap That Ass again. Um, (laughs) So what about you? What won your week in comedy this week? Uh, yeah, ditto. Crazy X and Sweet Vicious for very different reasons. Um, and one of those reasons is the music we'll be using to transition to our next segment, and that is We Tap That Ass from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Enjoy. We'll be right back after this. I banged you here, I nailed you there, and on this couch, and in this chair, in the doorway, the hallway, on every stair, we tap that ass all over this house. Sometimes him, sometimes me, though never simultaneously. But one of us was hitting it usually. We tapped that ass all over this house. You'll never escape us, cause we live in your head. Just two swell dudes that just screwed here and here and there and here and even occasionally in your bed. That bed is really uncomfortable, right? It's like a prison. Again, we tap that ass from Crazy Ex Girlfriend. 
We love you. Crazy ex-girlfriend. Never change. Um, this week in genre and drama, we're going to, of course, talk about the much-anticipated return of Steven Universe for Gem Harvest. Uh, we'll t- I'll check in briefly with Elementary Ill Tidings. The Knoll will catch us up with Queen Sugar, all good, and we'll round things out with Supergirl changing. So first up is Steven Universe, which obviously we're very excited about here. Noel, I don't know if our listeners know. Listeners, do we like Steven Universe? Um, so I, I knew it was a half-hour special. Um, I was probably too, uh, I was hoping for too much because I, it took me a while after seeing that it was coming back to, to remind myself, no, they're not coming back as a response to the election. This is a Thanksgiving episode. That is why they are coming back. Um, so then once I processed all of that and like, like, oh, of any hopes of a special, like, nod to, uh, everything, uh, into the the power of love, which is a uh, important theme on TV universe. Um, I I I had fun with it. I enjoyed it. I'm glad that I got this double episode of Steven Universe. And Pumpkin is adorable. I'm sure there will be very cute plushes any any moment. Um, but it just was sort of like a that's nice kind of episode of Steven Universe for me. I um I appreciate what they're going for with it. Um, but it didn't, it, it didn't salve the wounds. I think it was supposed to, what did you think? No, I agree in that initially I was just, I was really grooving on the episode of, um, Peridot and Lapis having turned the barn into like this completely transforming it. Like we had seen some of this, but now it's like completely transformed into this art installation commune, mm-hmm. um, which I love. Like, I totally love the fact that they're like navigating their friendship by doing this. And I'm very excited about it, but it was basically a little too real and too soon for me to have a crazy uncle at Thanksgiving talking about things he's heard on AM radio. And, <laughs> This whole, like, again, like you said, this power of love type of aspect of, well, we can try to accommodate him in these number of ways of over-responding to all sorts of human celebrations of marriage, death, all this stuff. We got it covered. And, but his immediate response is, everything's changing and I don't like it and I'm very concerned about this. And I'm very frustrated and I'm kind of angry about it. And it's just, I was just like, no, it's it's a little too much too soon. And it's not the show's fault in any way, shape, or form. Like you said, this is a Thanksgiving episode. Um, it's coming back because it was Thanksgiving. This episode was written and animated God knows how long ago. And, and likely, if there was any bent or any anticipation, it would have been the anticipation of a Clinton win. Right, and that kind of thing. And yeah. now we're living in this kind of a situation where, no, we have to have um, dinner with our crazy uncle who probably voted for Trump and navigate how that feels, and that's not really pleasant. And th- so the episode is good. There's a lot of really funny stuff in the episode. Like you said, Pumpkin, I like the f- I, I liked their whole trip to the grocery store, um, implied trip to the grocery store. I liked Amethyst's dealing with the grease fire by eating it and but also <laughs> apologizing for starting it. <laughs> was was all it was all very funny. Um but yeah, it was just 
it was it was too real and too soon <laughs> um is basically how i responded to uh gem harvest and also the whole name gem harvest had me anticipating something else entirely oh yeah it did not have too. me antis- anticipating this and then it was a half hour special it was just like oh wow we're gonna get a big mythology episode and no, we got a we got a Power of Love episode about crazy uncles. And um, the only other thing that I think the only big t- big the biggest thing that I think warmed my heart about this, apart from the art installation commune, was Stephen being upset that his last name is Universe and not DeMeo. <laughs> was the yeah. best thing about this episode, I think, to me, of him being like. What kind of crummy name is Universe? I want to be DeMeo. And it's just like, that is the best, most Steven thing ever. <laughs> yeah. No, it was very cute. It was it was, it was good. Um, I feel like Steven should know what Thanksgiving is, and they should have called it Thanksgiving. Because, you know, that was a little weird that Greg wouldn't have taught him about that to the point where they would actually use that as a term. And I also felt like... You know, like, it was it was very structured to be this, to be a nuclear family. But as far as I'm concerned, Connie is his family, too. So I would have liked to see Connie and her parents there, since we know that they don't have any other family nearby, because they've moved a bunch. Um, so, like, there's some, like, just little things like that that made it feel more like a message thing and less, like, an actual... Like, this doesn't feel like, like this would actually be a Stephen Thanksgiving. Cause I feel like a Stephen Thanksgiving, he would, it'd be like, you know, together breakfast where he would want everybody to come together to have Thanksgiving together. And he'd be explaining it to the gems and, and he'd have Connie over and, you know, lion would be, you know, playing with, I don't know, some sort of like playing with pumpkin. Some, yeah. Yeah. That kind of a thing. Um, so yeah, just like these little things that it was a little, it was a little more messagey than I would have liked and not um, genuine. And I hadn't even thought about this idea of, no, we need to pander to the guy who fears change and is lashing out. Or the fact that in this in this episode, that's the guy who's right. He's It's it's his barn. It's his property. They are wrong for, for being there. It is not theirs uh, to just take. Um, and so when you add the context of this other stuff on top of it, it makes it a lot less palatable, which is not the show's fault. That's all on me. And I should be able to watch and appreciate different types of messages than just the ones that feel the most, you know, the the ones that challenge me the least. Um, but yeah, those, I hadn't really thought about those, those other layers to it until you mentioned them. So I think those are... Sorry, I've ruined the episode even more now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Noel. (laughs) That's what I'm Uh, here for. That's why why you keep me around, is for me to ruin episodes (laughs) of television. For what it's worth, you didn't ruin elementary ill tidings. Elementary ruined elementary with ill tidings, at least in this one message, one, one part. They had Sherlock break up with Fiona off screen... WTF, I guess I won't swear, WTF, mate, that's not okay. What a waste of a character and uh, what a waste of an opportunity to to really explore the kind of character we very, very rarely see in any respectful way on TV. 
No, totally agree. Um, like I, my only assumption is is that that actress who plays Fiona, whose name escapes me at the moment, just wasn't available uh, to mm-hmm. continue with the show, or she had gotten more work and just wasn't going to be available. I mean, she doesn't even share like the same scene space because she's in her Fiona's in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. um, so they're just like skyping one another. And um, but yeah, it's I was really frustrated. Like the rest of the episode is actually pretty good, and I mean, like the whole asp thing and like the quote from Antony and Cleopatra at the end of the episode um, just is like really great and ties it nicely together. But then I'm just dealing with all this Fiona, all the Fiona and Sherlock feelings. I'm just like, Oh, this episode sucks because of it. And no, you're absolutely correct in that Fiona is a character that we don't get to see represented in this way very often in a way that takes her seriously, doesn't play her for laughs. Um, and they're just like, we're going to break up with her off screen and we're not really going to show you much of their relationship with one another. And I immediately went, well, that's bullshit, guys. No, I'm sorry. No, you don't. I, I, I understand that the show's central relationship is Sherlock and Joan, and I'm here for that. I'm here for them discussing their friendship and their partnership and what that means to both of them. It's basically my favorite part of the show. But I also really like when they get to interact with other characters outside of that and how that influences both of them. And I wanted to see how Fiona was going to influence Sherlock and watch them go on another date and figure out what their relationship looked like of this idea of their professional lives and personal lives and all this stuff and how that informed them. And we're not going to get any of that. I'm really upset about it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, And this episode tells us Sherlock has had two romances in his entire life. And one of them was during this show and we didn't get to see it. So that's really frustrating. Um, And hopefully should the actor become available again, they can bring her back. Um, but, yeah, it's just a waste. So, the rest of the episode, you're right. The rest of the episode was, was just fine. Um, the whodunit, the, you know, the bringing in the actor from Heroes to make you think he did it, but he didn't do it. You know, like, yeah, the, there's there's a lot of fun other stuff going on, keeping, like, plates spinning, balls juggling, all of that. But that was really what I kept coming back to. And, uh, again, uh, a side or periphery character to their personal lives that is not followed through on and not given the weight that in a perfect world of casting and such and availability that the character would deserve. Um, we've seen them do that with Joan a lot. Right. Remember that Joan has a half sister. Yep. Every now and again, they mention her when they need a reason for Joan to have a hookup on apartments. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's disappointing to see them do that with a Sherlock character as well. Like somebody in Sherlock's periphery. So yeah, that's about all I have um, um, for this one. Do you think she'll come back for anything? Uh, given the show's track record, probably not. Yeah. Oh, it's a shame. Okay, well, uh, let's let's move on to, hopefully, I guess, a cheerier topic, or at least a, I don't know, I haven't seen this week's episode, a show that, that um, hopefully we're, we're happier about. That's Queen Sugar. Um, now I haven't seen this week's episode, but you've seen last week's episode, caught up with last week's episode and this week's episode, which is all good. How are you feeling about Queen Sugar? Um, I'm really enjoying this, this 
the show's transition to its um at least its season one end game right now um insofar as the plantation as we found out um the has very fraught tragic history to it and um that the primary sugar um cane owners within the parish owned their family and um which was the big reveal in last week's um last week's episode and then this week's episode deals with them trying to figure out a way to navigate that and where they can bring their sugar to be milled is in fact owned by these basically the same family it's a different family but it's the same family um and so they have to figure out how to some some other way that they're not going to give these people money in any way shape or form um and they figure out a way but it's it's going to be very um it's going to be very financially taxing in part because charlie is not touching any of her money from her joint account um because of her impending divorce (laughs) um so there's a lot of stuff happening um so they end up having to take out a bank loan um to like keep themselves afloat for the moment and of course that immediately gets jettisoned by surprise um the um landry's that's it the bordeaux's and the landry's um basically shuttle their uh scuttle their loan like they have enough influence with the banks that they just axe the loan um and it gets rejected and the smug guy from the mill gets to tell them um because the show needs some antagonists and they have some and i'm really angry with them um there's some other good stuff um as charlie and remy try to figure out uh where the relationship stands and micah finds out about it and that goes about as well as you would expect um and then the only other big thing that happens is that V's back at uh, the High Yellow uh, Diner um, and is managing it now after <laughs> the um, owner of it realizes that his diner is in serious trouble without V. And um, she starts making changes immediately. So I'm excited that that's going forward. And yeah, so I'm eager for you to watch um, this week's episode and get caught up um, when you can and when you have time and so that we can hear uh what else is happening but yeah um i'm excited about this kind of family versus family dynamic that's being set up within this episode and within last week's episode and it's 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 going to be good i'm i'm ready for that reckoning and ready for the payoff of that scene that you mentioned last week the capper to last week's episode to really start playing out and it's going to be good i think yeah it's yeah, we, we already were liking this season, but the direction they're taking to build towards the finale, like you said, uh, well done, well played, well played, writers. That's going to be very compelling. It should be, at least. So, um, okay, our last show of the week is Supergirl changing, and yeah, stuff happened this week. We had Guardian show up. We had, um, you know, Wynn and James buddy time. We had, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Parasite, who is uh, Betty, I recall seeing in some of the animated stuff previously. But who cares about any of that? Because we had this amazing stuff with Alex coming out, and it was so good and so powerful and so uh, just so heartbreaking at the end. And Kyler Lee 
uh, nailed it. Nailed it. And uh, that was my takeaway from Supergirl. <laughs> that is, I think, the best possible takeaway. Like, um, Kyler Lee is really great in this episode. Um, like, last week I was just like, Makad Brooks is the best he's ever been on this show. Kyler Lee is the best she's ever been and she's given such great material though is the other thing like she's digging into it and like that entire bench scene where she comes out to Kara is just really really good um and like you can see Lee's really selling like the tug of emotions the whole like just the entire sequence of of her speech is just and, and we talked about this a little bit um last week with just the the verisimilitude of this and the lived-in experience of how Alex is coming to grips with all of this and just like this idea of just burying feelings very deep down and not acknowledging them anymore even though I had them and I they're valid now but I didn't know what to do with them before and just all of that is just really just really great and really real and really speaks i think to other people's experiences with coming out and coming to grips with these feelings um from what i've seen other people write about this episode from what we've talked about like with the email that we got last week and just all this stuff and i'm i'm really excited that supergirl is playing this out and in the ways that they're playing it out with the honesty between kara and alex but also between alex and maggie and maggie going like it's great that you're out, but we're in, you, we're both in very different places in this process, and I can't do this for you as a romantic person, but I can do this for you as a friend, and I can help you with this. But just, and Alex's just sheer devastation at that is just, just, oh, oh gut punch. Um, so I really, really enjoyed this episode, and you're right. Everything else in this episode is kind of like, whatever Monel gets abducted by Cadmus in a really weird way and Parasite got played by William Mapother which is great um but yeah it just all pales in comparison to this really good non-superhero stuff that's happening in this episode and it's such a great show for this to be happening on in part because they have the room to do this in a way that a lot of the other Arrowverse shows are just too wrapped up in their mythologies at this point to do that but the other thing is, it's just like, this is increasingly, since the show transitioned to the CW, um, this is increasingly a show that can basically go like, yeah, immigration is great, everyone. It's okay. It's what this country was founded on, and it's good. And now it's just like, we're going to deal with the coming out story in a way that is nuanced, that is realistic, and the show is finding really good ways to explore exploit their superhero trappings to do these kind of big stories and i'm just i'm so happy with supergirl right now which is something that this time last year i would never have even thought i would say about <laughs> this show but now that it's on cw the show has really found its footing and they're really pushing the show in some really great directions yeah how are you feeling about it <laughs> oh no i just like i said i thought it was terrific and so powerful and so well done and like you said it's it has the ring of truth to the writing um so yes the performances are really strong but it's come it all comes down to the writing 
and and the the detail of it like that i that that's the idea of these different memories that she have like hadn't like super duper like actively repressed but had subconsciously repressed and had like not even remembered that she was suppressing something you know, like they should try she was trying not to think about stuff you know um that felt so real felt so honest um in a way that when you see something like that in a show it again it's like it's the ring of truth it 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 bubbles up it, it like makes something like a moment or a speech or a a turn a character re- like reveal whatever it something like that rises up and just makes everything else around it it reminds you of the artifice of everything else around it because that moment is so real is so honest and so so lovely to see um so for me those were some of my highlights in tv viewing this week were those interactions um and i again i'm not going to be the person arguing the supergirl is the best show on tv but it's one of my favorite to watch it's one of the ones i most look forward to seeing um to watching and following on with and like we said last week i think it's so important that the show like this is on tv right now that we're with representation with with story with hope and optimism and being a good person will be rewarded i think that is a good message an important message to be out there um and there is the space to have that show and there is the space to have that message and so i'm glad that the cw uh, and CBS worked around to make sure that it could, and the creators and writers and, and creative team over at Supergirl value that and prioritize that. Um, yeah, I just it makes me happy that Supergirl is a thing in the world that people around the country and around the world are watching. Um, so hopefully, um, it will just continue to to blossom in its second season. Absolutely, and I think that it will like i said the whole it's shifted the cw i think has really loosened everyone up um on the writing staff i mean the show's writing just feels a lot sharper i was talking about this with nick um who writes about it over at tv guide and who we had on for the state is that um the writing just feels a lot sharper um character interactions feel a little more defined I think that the summer break was really important for them in terms of figuring out what the show was, but also as much as it pains me to say it, um, because I miss close to Flockhart every single week on this show, is that eliminating Cat Grant and thus eliminating the whole we need to hide everything from Cat um, allowed the show to go, well, everyone's just going to do everything and it's going to be fine. We're not going to worry about it anymore. We're not going to, like you said, we're not going to have to worry about the artifice of Kara trying to disappear for a little while. Um, as to go save the world, it's just, well, Ian Gomez doesn't care, so <laughs> why should we? Um, and that, I think, helps speed up the show um, and it motivates relationships in different ways that I'm just, the show's really figured itself out since the move to the CW. And I think also just it helps that the CW's audience is very different from CBS's and they can do stuff like this um, and really devote a significant amount of time to it. And I'm very excited for what the show has in store for us going forward. And I'm, we're on the cusp 
of the crossover, Kate. If you didn't haven't been watching the mm-hmm. CW this week, we're on the cusp. And so even though Supergirl is not going to play a huge part in her episode, um, because they have to go rescue that idiot Monel from Cadmus, <laughs> um, we'll see. It's it's going to be. I'm excited, but I'm yeah. I'm I watch I watched Supergirl before I watched Jane to put things in perspective of like when I'm prioritizing the DVR watch on Tuesdays is I watch Supergirl before I watch Jane. And I think that that's a pretty clear sign of the amount of joy that I'm getting from this show right now. Yeah. Well, then what wins your week in a genre and drama? It feels weird not to say Steven Universe, Kate. Um, it does. <laughs> um, it feels really weird and kind of I, I'm I'm not I'm gonna have to go eat my feelings about that. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's very much um, it's Supergirl. What about you? Yeah, definitely Supergirl for me. Yeah. Well, a few show notes here at the end of our week in TV. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org. The website for the podcast leaves a comment there and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us in iTunes with an an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. Now, I say that. uh, I'm trying out using an MP3, a chaptered MP3, in the M4A feed, everyone. So if you are having any difficulty downloading the podcast or getting it, please reach out and let me know. If it's like malfunctioning, if the chapters aren't working anything, please do let me know. Um, But yes, we do have two feeds in iTunes. We also have uh, the podcast over on Stitcher where you can listen. And uh, of course, we're on Facebook. You can like the page and start up a conversation there. And we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. And you can find me writing about The Flash uh, when it's on each week at tvguide.com. And now we will take a break and come back with Jessica Ritchie from RogerEbert.com to talk about 70s space hippie twaddle, right? Was that what it was? <laughs> Night slips. We'll be right back after this. My wife and Annie, they're gone. Do you hear me? Yeah, 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 yeah. They wouldn't go off just like that without letting me know. I'm telling you, something's happened to them. I don't believe it. I know, I know. I don't believe it myself. <laughs> I tell you, it, uh, <laughs> it seemed like it was actually happening. Sometimes dreams can be very real. Oh, I know, I know that. But this one, this one. This one, this one. You've accused me of a lot of things. You've never accused me of sleepwalking before. <laughs> it's crazy. You and the rest of those people being herded in trucks like a bunch of sheep. That's who I am. Well... You've been through a terrible ordeal. You need some rest. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you the truth, I don't know what I need. But in your dream, why didn't you stop me from getting into the truck? (laughs) (laughs) No. I don't know. It seemed like I, uh, like I tried, and then, uh, and somebody, somebody knocked me down, and, I don't know. It's all muddled up. It's all muddled up. All I know is I woke up this morning and my head felt like a meatball. This girl that you said you saw, what did she look like? Uh, um, what did you say? What did she look like? 
We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kolsick, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are adding to our canon of TV movies and specifically TV horror. So uh, I, I guess it was the category for this. I'm looking forward to talking about it. The, 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 the movie is called Night Slaves from 1970. And joining us to talk about it, um, freelance writer from Roger Eb- RogerEbert.com, as well as other places, Jessica Ritchie. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm very glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So what made you want to talk about Night Slaves? I had never even heard of this. Uh, I think because it was a good example of the merits of 70s genre TV movies, basically. It's a uh, simple story, but it's well-made and well-acted, and it makes the most of its budget and its limitations for you know what TV would allow at the time. And I'm really pleased by the migration of all these 70s TV movies to YouTube, so in pretty good uploads. So these things that otherwise could be hanging in limbo are now very easy to see. Yeah, it, it's from the um, the series of movies. Uh, it was the the movie of the week, right? And uh, right. On, uh, was it ABC? I want to say it was ABC. Was that you know that's... More than likely, that sounds right. Sometimes it's hard yeah, for me to... It's ABC. Okay. Yeah. And some other ones that we've previously talked about at the DVD shelf uh, that were also in this series uh, was Duel they did, uh, and The Night Stalker, which is so fabulous and so underseen. Um, but this is one, again, I hadn't even heard of. And it's so interesting to go back to these uh, older films, especially like something like a miniseries or a TV movie, because like the series, you're more likely to have like see, caught here or there, but they don't... Very few places rerun like old TV movies. So if it doesn't have, you know, Duel, which obviously Steven Spielberg directed or the Night Stalker was a very strong influence on the Um, Mm X-Files. So like those ones have reasons for people to seek them out um, or to, to like kind of be still in in circulation. But a lot of TV movies just sort of disappeared at a certain point from public consciousness. So it's, it's neat to go back and see what we were doing in TV movies, that form of storytelling in 1970. Right. And, uh, and a thing about uh, Night Slaves, too, is that it feels a lot like uh, a condensed version of basically, I think, what they call mystery box shows, that you could see now them stretching out the story of what happens in Night Slaves probably maybe more longer <laughs> than they should. <laughs> so I think it's another reason I have a, a fondness for uh, 70s TV movies is that uh, they're very good about not wasting your time. <laughs> well, yeah, because without commercials, this guy is like 70 minutes. Right. Which, you know, you think now if it would, it would be a two-hour movie, um, it would be 90 minutes probably, maybe 85. But, like, this must have been, like, 90 minutes with 20 minutes of commercials, right? Right. Or sometimes they could even fill in at the time. I think there were sometimes 75-minute slots. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Which would yeah, make accurate. more sense. Yeah. yeah. And so it was interesting when I saw the runtime of an hour and ten Okay, nowadays this would either be 45 or it would be 90. The idea right. of, of 70, which, like, I would actually argue I think this could have even been shorter. I think this could have been 60. But <laughs> but the now now if this was being made, it would totally be stretched out to at least 90 minutes. And there would be extra gratuitous fill in the blank. They would find a way for there to be more horror and gore. Um, instead of suspense, which feels like what they're really going for. There's like some psycho- psychological drama of like gaslighting and is this guy going crazy? Um, but mostly it's suspense throughout. And um, yeah, I think the, the looking at the, again, the difference in how we spend time 
on television in narr- like in storytelling is always really interesting and, and really fun to kind of look at for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, Noel, had you heard of Night Slaves before this? No, I hadn't. Um, the most of what I knew from Night, like Night Slaves prior to Jessica saying, like, this is what we're going to watch, was <laughs> um, the fact that I actually knew a number of the folks that were involved in the production from other things. So, like, I had known the director, Ted Post, um, mostly from his, um, he directed the pilot movie of um, Cagney and Lacey, um, which is what I know him from. And then I'm semi-familiar with like James Franciscus who plays um Clay and of course there's Leslie Nielsen as the sheriff everyone knows Leslie Nielsen <laughs> and um then there's also like um Tisha Sterling uh, who's uh, Rod Sterling's uh daughter um and her casting in this feels very meta in a way um but those those folks I was familiar with but I had never seen this before and like the upload that I watched on the upload I'm assuming we all watched was an old recording from TBS super back when TBS built itself as a super station so as a Atlanta native I'm just like wow this goes back (laughs) (laughs) memories (laughs) yeah yeah it was an interesting one for me this because like again I wasn't familiar with it at all so the the watching the credits come up I'm like oh Leslie Nielsen awesome but this is like for me this is such an interesting point in his career because it's not like super just hardcore dramatic original like totally sincere Leslie Nielsen but it's also not oh I can just be hilarious and do the same delivery Leslie Nielsen either yeah this is basically back when he would be playing like Columbo or Macmillan and wife villain of the week Leslie Nielsen I think point in his (laughs) career yeah no, it's 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 fun for I I would have personally probably liked it if he if it had gone campier if it had gone sillier, uh I probably would have had a little bit more fun with it. But but it was it's just again it's always fun to see these familiar faces uh, pop up. So we should probably tell our listeners, many of whom will not have seen this, what is this actually about? It's called Night Slaves, which is a you know rather evocative title. Uh, Jessica, what what is this movie about? Well, uh, James Franciscus plays a man married to Lee Grant, and they are on the verge of uh, breaking up when he has a catastrophic car accident that leads him with a long recovery and a metal plate in his head, which is a plot point. And they decide to uh, go to the country that did, you know, for him to have further rest and relaxation. And they get to one of those, you know, spooky, isolated southwestern towns, and it doesn't take long for him to notice uh, strange things are afoot. It appears that everyone save him will get up in the middle of the night and basically sleepwalk to this you know, mysterious location on the uh, outside of town. And he's starting, and he basically is trying to figure out what exactly is going on and what's the deal with the the one woman in town who seems to know what's going on and do, doesn't seem to be affected by the, you know this command to move either? And it's sort of like the, revealing that. Uh, I do you want me to just tell you completely what happens all the way through it? I don't well, know. Let's, spoiler let's, policy. Yeah, let's let's because this is one a lot of people will be unfamiliar with. Let's just say. Uh, there is we could say, let's say there's aliens involved and yes. they're you know they may or may not be nefarious we'll leave that to the uh listeners um i guess One to, of them to is discover no they can't be nefarious <laughs> but um there is there i think we what we should talk about though is cuz i don't think we can avoid talking about it, is there's 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 two uh aliens that were 
that we're interacting with at various points. Um, one is, oh goodness, I'm gonna Niala, Niala, what, what's, how do what? Annie is <laughs> is how the townspeople know her, but uh, Niala is 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 what she's calling herself. And then there's there's Noel, um, and what I can, I so 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 Clay is mostly introducing introduce, interacting with Niala. And, um, yeah, and I, I'm distracting from our <laughs> plot synopsis here, but what I kept keying into when I'm watching, when I was watching this is it for me is such an, uh, entertaining commentary on 1970 and oh, yeah. on how, uh, Clay and, and Marjorie or Marge are getting going to get divorced because he wants to retire and get out of the, you know, like the hustle and bustle and crazy fast paced life. Um, she doesn't really necessarily want that. Uh, she wants to run off with her boyfriend. Um, but you know, he, then he finds Nialil who just wants to, um, she wants to get married and have kids with She's anyone so apparently. Yeah, she's a filthy space hippie. That, that, that's one of my favorite things I think about Night Slaves is that seeing TV finally start to deal with the counterculture, basically what had happened in the 60s and the idea that like Nial is basically a space dropout and that she doesn't really necessarily agree with what her people are doing. And like, you know, she wants to, you know, to find whatever space hippies want to find <laughs> ultimate, like, you know, Nirvana or something. And that like... Uh, that uh, James Franciscus is drawn to that. So it's, it, and what's also interesting though, is that I like how fair the movie plays by Lee Grant. That was, that's also sort of the loosening of standards in, in that the, this amount of sympathy that's shown for a wife who's having an affair. Yeah. And, and yeah. there's a strong sense of like when they reveal that he knows about yeah. this too. And, and there's not a huge amount of judgment. Of course, it's easy for him not to have a huge amount of judgment because yeah. he's fallen in he's love instantly. He's on an alien lady. <laughs> yeah. He's in love with her because she just talked about all I want in life is to, to get married and have kids. And, um, that's going to define anything. It's the only thing we know about her is that she's pretty because she's in a human body. That's pretty. And she wants to get married and have kids. And she's very sad that she's not allowed to do that. Um, uh, and that, but yeah, so, so it's just, it's just very, um, you know, it's very of its time and it's very interesting in the placement of like where that, what that says about where our culture was coming from and going to. And, you know, I think it's really very much from our current perspective, it's interesting to look at that and say, like, does this feel, does this feel sexist? Does this feel very mm -hmm. focused on uh, on him and everything he wants and nobody seems to care about Annie. <laughs> Even her boyfriend, the sheriff, doesn't seem to really care about poor Annie. Um, it's, but yeah, so so when I was watching, it was just like this interesting combination of all of that. Uh, I don't know, what, what strike you, Noel? Um, the big thing that I ended up zeroing in on was a lot of like the 70s counterculture stuff that you both have already kind of like discussed at. I've picked up on and just i really just dived into this very much as a very self-contained like science fiction allegory sort of thing um which is re really what it's intended as i mean the writer um it's based on like a novel from a fellow who wrote a bunch of like alfred hitchcock and our limits episodes and so it's not surprising that there's this strand of like social commentary running through it 
with aliens. Um, <laughs> and I, I think I th that's what I ended up keying in on was how this worked, uh, how well this worked for me is like an allegory. And what are we trying to escape from? What are we trying to escape to? Both of those were like really important things. Plus the other thing that I just really kind of latched onto towards the end was this, this, this town like turning against these outsiders very, very quickly, like in the matter of like a day and a half. They're just like, this guy who killed both of these women. And it's just like, but, but they've been missing longer than he's been there, right? <laughs> we don't take kindly to your kind around right. here, yeah. And so it's just like, by the end, they're like all waiting outside the police station. And I'm just like, wow, this escalated very quickly. <laughs> And but it's still like like you guys were talking about, like this, how they're grappling with these changes in culture and these changes in attitude um, in a way without being like, I feel like without being really overt and in your face about it, it's it's subtle to us. Maybe it would have played more overtly for an audience in 1970 watching this on whenever it aired on ABC, whatever night it aired on, on ABC, September 29th, apparently, um, in 1970. Um, then it does to us now where it may feel slightly subdued, but I think that that's, that's okay. I think that the fact that that thread's still coming out today, I think make, gives the, gives the film some high degree of relevancy. Another thing that I couldn't help thinking about with this when I, cause of course, you know, knowing me, I was, course peering at it through the the feminist lens that i always uh wind up taking um you know in my viewing and i just kept thinking of the tradition of gaslighting movies and suspense movies um and and how this would be different if it was marge with the plate mm -hmm. in her head instead of clay because he's seen one weird evening and uh, he thinks it's a dream at first, and then he finds one like one weird like clue thing, and is just like go immediately assumes that he's right and that the entire town is wrong, and there's some massive conspiracy. Whereas I feel like almost always you think of something like um, uh, oh well, like gaslighting. Yeah, <laughs> the actual like, gaslight is the best example. But like we're we're usually it's it's where it's a woman in that role being convinced that she is mad. And I feel like it would just, it would, the same story, if those roles were reversed, would just be such, would take such a different narrative. I wonder what that trajectory would have been. So I was watching this going like, he's had a weird dream after having like brain surgery <laughs> and dealing with having drunk dr driven and killed two people. And he's like, nope. The entire town is sleepwalking. <laughs> it's not me. It's all of you. I just thought that was really like a interesting <laughs> subplot to what it's like. Oh, he's a very confident person. Well, if it were a woman, no one would have no one would have been worried that Marge had killed two men <laughs> that had just disappeared. Yeah, um, yeah there's that. There is that. <laughs> Yeah, I'll I'll give this though for like the difference between like things like Night Slaves and mystery box shows now that sometimes what harms seventies TV movies is that they have to quickly get to plot points because you know you only have like you know seventy sometimes even just ninety minutes so you mm. have to make some leaps that are yeah. not necessarily supported very well by the narrative. 
Well, but it is almost refreshing because we all, you're watching this, you know that that's going to happen. So it's like, are we going to waste time with him having to do two nights of this to be certain that he's not, you know? But no, they like, they just go with it, which is, again, preposterous from, from like, if we're going to be realistic about it. But we're not going to be realistic about it because we're watching a a horror TV movie. So come on. Right. And, you know, at least there's no scenes where like the aliens have to go to like, I don't know, Dorn and ask, you know, can we continue <laughs> to do what we're doing here? Well, I, I think the other thing though, I mean, even though there's like this narrative compression, the movie still finds time for that, that very prolonged scene. I think, I feel like it's actually like the longest scene in the movie that doesn't take place at the end of the movie where Clay and Annie are basically just wandering around the empty town and like falling in love with one another, basically. But it's, there's something deeply humane about that scene that I just, that basically just made everything stand out to me. Her wonder at like this idea of the general store and things that she hadn't seen in the store before. And then him just like dealing with the fact that a, he was right, but B that he's not at all too thrown by this whole invisible wall that he keeps walking into (laughs) stick your arm out come on dude yeah and she even tells him to do it but then like he doesn't even like get too freaked out by the fact that she can read his mind he's just kind of like this has been a very weird convalescence but i'm gonna go with it and i just i really kind of like the fact that he he he's more willing to buy into this whole scenario being something that feels real to him than he is even necessarily maybe willing to waver on the idea that he dreamt everything everyone disappearing i like to think you know he was in the headspace to accept this stuff because of what he was dealing with because of his trauma um, because of the surgery, because of his guilt, and having just made a huge life change right before then, too, you know, quitting his job and selling off his practice and everything. Um, so, like, if you're going to run into aliens, he was, the, like, I like to think of this, like, imagine, you know, he's dealt with enough of his, like, of his trauma to start, like, getting back to his normal self. And he's like, wait a second, what did I decide to do? I can never, okay. That was a rash decision I made. Yeah, I, I, I think your your patience for Night Slaves will be, actually be very heavily dependent on your patience for hippie twaddle sci-fi. <laughs> and, and, and as I have a very high tolerance for hippie twaddle sci-fi, I like it as, as much as I can fully roll with the, you know, hmm, I need to find myself. I'm going to quit my job. Oh, boo, I'm in a car accident. Oh, I'm in this strange town. Oh, it's actually aliens. Hmm, I'm going to give up my physical existence and, and run off with, you know, someone claiming to be <laughs> my alien soulmate. What could go wrong? Well, I mean, at least there was no Kool-Aid involved when he That's made true. this decision. Well, and it's what I like about it's really like that because that part of it and the idea of of, you know, he's a dropout and the like, what is the what is existence and what is the self and what is, you know, all of that stuff is actually I think can be really interesting. And again, speaks to the time that this was made, but it's delightfully low stakes, but also high stakes. Because there's no, like, you spoiler alert, whatever, we get to the end, there's no, like, massive conspiracy to take over the world or anything like that. It's, like, a low-stakes situation. These people who have been, like, mind-controlled to to go off and do this thing, um, 
it's only for like it's for four hours a night. So it's not like they're like working them to death or anything. They're stealing some of their sleep. They're still functioning, but they're not like trying to work them eight hours. They're just like you know, sleep four hours. You can get by on four hours for a few days. Like it's it's so it's life and death for him and his sanity and you know his sense of self and everything that he's experiencing. But for everybody else, you know, I guess except poor Annie uh, and Mr. Fletcher, who's, you know, the the wife and mom is dead. I don't know how that happened. But for everybody else, this is a very, like, two weeks from now, they're going to be like, yeah, that was weird. I wasn't sleeping very well that week. And that's it. And, and again, that, to me, that's one of the virtues of it, because I kind of miss small stakes sci-fi and genre, especially now in the age of, like, everything's the cosmic battle and everything oh, yeah. is, you know, you know it's like, there's, there's something to be said for the, huh, that was weird, and everybody goes about their mm-hmm. lives. Yeah. Well, do we have another performance we want to mention or our uh, favorite scene? I was enjoying the... For for me, like the the stuff with the Mr. Fletcher and and the sheriff, um, that was really entertaining to me because like I could not tell the dynamics between them. So because so Mr. Fletcher runs the like the the diner right, and he's the one right. who's pouring the coffee right. And so his his daughter is going out with the sheriff, but he keeps you know like are you gonna propose to my daughter anytime here? And then. I can't, I couldn't decide if he actually cared. Um, and I, I was enjoying some of just like the, the sense of community that they managed to get with only a few scenes. And, and also at like the, the Phillip station and the, some of these different places. Cause it's only, again, it's only 70 minutes, but you do get some sense of like, like, I think if Annie had more options, she wouldn't be dating that sheriff, for example, <laughs> even if he is Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> You 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 bite your tongue. Everyone should be dating Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> but yeah, the, the night slaves. If you need something to watch one night when you've exhausted your Netflix queue, pop on over to YouTube. And I would also recommend really just surfing around and seeing what's out there because again, there are so many '70s TV movies that have made their way to YouTube. Yeah, and again, like. I do think we something that Noel and I have talked about on the on the show plenty of times. Uh, there is so much recency bias in in TV and TV criticism, like mm-hmm. because it's so hard to keep abreast of what's actually airing right now. Going back to watch something, even like if it's an all time great, everybody loves it. It says it's the best thing ever. People don't do it, let alone something that might be an oddity or might be like uh, just more like a window into different types of, of like for this different types of TV movies, different types of like horror suspense TV movies from the seventies. Like it's more of like a, like a artifact of its time. And like, I don't think anybody would argue this is like the best TV movie ever made, but it is interesting. It is fun. And it is a very different feeling and change and, and, and tone and, and like personality than what we see now. And there's a definite value, I think, in going back and exploring and finding out some of these different, like, like what was a TV movie in 1970 versus in 1980 versus in you know 2000? I don't know. I think I think that can be a lot of fun. Noel, do you have any final thoughts on uh, Night Slaves? No, I think you both have uh, done a nice job of summing it up. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Jessica, where can our listeners find you and your work online? Thank you so much for coming on. By the way. 
Oh, uh, thank you for having me again. And I appear regularly at Roger Ebert. And you can uh, follow me at Twitter at Ruby Stevens to find links to my other uh, pieces. Well, we'll have to have you, you do. You, do you have like a whole list of, of uh, TV movies? Do you have any other, if people like Night Slaves, are there any other ones you recommend that they should check out? Oh, yeah. Uh, some ones that come to mind are Gargoyles, uh, Curse of the Cat Creature. Uh, there is a, a Were Spider movie called Curse of the Black Widow, which is exactly what it sounds like. Oh, God. Also... Too many legs. No. <laughs> <laughs> And from the department of uh, intriguing pilots that got burned off as TV movies, I also recommend the Norless tapes. Ah, that's intriguing. That feels Night Stalkery. Would that very, very, yeah. Nice, interesting. Okay, well, thank you again so much for coming on, Jessica. We'll have to have you come back to talk about one of these other ones. Not, not the Wear Spiders. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just saying that now. I can't deal with wear spiders, but I could check out some of these other ones. Uh, so thank you once more, Jessica, for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.